It's a dreadful ball and Chelsea could be in here with Goff who goes for goal and scores! Finds the back of the net! Henri! What a goal! Inspiration for Arsenal from Thierry Henri! Medler, lovely cushion header for The Ghost Goal Podcast. Chelsea and Norwich kicked off the weekend with a goal fiesta. The Blues and the Canaries went back and forth in 10. Tammy Abraham was able to get his second goal of the game and back the winner. Timo Pukki, though, scoring his fifth goal of the Premier League so far three games in. Crystal Palace took their giant-slaying ways to Old Trafford and beat Manchester United away for the first time since 1991 with a 2-1 victory, thanks to goals from Jordan Ayew and the extra-time winner by Patrick Van Anholt. And they say, you know what they say about insanity? It's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. That seems to be what Arsenal do every time they go to Anfield, where they were rocked again, 3-1, Thanks to a brace from for Mohamed Salah and a howler of a day from David Luiz. On Sunday, Sergio Aguero bragged, bagged a brace for the champions to help City beat Bournemouth 3-1 away. And Tottenham hosted Newcastle in a game where he thought the over might hit. But instead, as Alex predicted, Spurs came up firing blanks. And Joel Ellington opened his Premier League account to help Newcastle win 1-0. Welcome to the Ghost Goal Podcast. I'm Andrew Passaro. We got Alex Moss, Javier Revlo along for the ride. How we doing, fellas? Good, pretty good. Can't complain. Chelsea's back. First positive weekend for Chelsea this season. I mean, positive in the sense that what, like you, you gained rival on uh, on Le- gained uh, you know ground on Leicester, Leicester and uh, Bournemouth and. Uh, we didn't gain ground on Leicester. They won too. Because I was going to yeah, say you know, the, uh, the rivals, relegation teams, the they definitely part. gained ground on you. Uh, Newcastle, Palace got big wins, and you know you you're you're going to be in around all of those season, teams. So, uh, Javier, seeing as all those teams won, none of them gained ground on any of them because they it's all true. got the same so, I mean, exact result. You shouldn't result. even be happy that Chelsea had that good of a weekend. It, you know? it was a must-win yeah, game. It was, it was a, <laughs> you would have fallen deep into the relegation zone if you guys hadn't won it. So you know, you'd be down. You'd be Again, down Javier, there. With we, don't, we don't look Jeez. at the table. We don't look at the table until ten games in, at the very earliest. Yeah, relegation zone of three games in is like this. That's what happens when Arsenal wins their first two games of the season and squeak by Bournemouth, and they think that they're hot shit for a hot second. And it was, then they there come was no crashing. crashing down there was absolutely zero crashing. There, I'm there was a still lot of very crashing. happy with the. Uh, we'll, we'll get to it soon. Is that where we're starting? You're yeah, happy with wanna, that performance. Are we starting just off the bat? You're there? happy with that performance. All right, let's do That's it. That's the let's, biggest let's game let's of the weekend. How the hell well, are okay. you happy about that performance? Unai Emery got everything wrong and set your team up for failure from the get go. Okay, fine, I, fine. I already did start. Just like Liverpool started like five minutes into that game before Arsenal decided they wanted All to right. start. Well, playing. I think, number one, I think that... Um, well, intro the result real got, quick, Andrew. Okay, so Liverpool won 3-1. Uh, like I called, over three and a half goals. That hit Thank you, again. Lucas Torreira. Uh, my t- we can thank Arsenal yeah, for something. I, honestly... Honestly, I so I was out watching this game at a bar, and Lucas Torreira scored, and I jumped out of my seat just as hard as I did when Mohamed Salah scored the third goal. The over. I was like, let's fucking, let's fucking go. The over hit, and then like I, I'm wearing my Firmino kit, and everyone's like looking around. It's like some Fuck other yes, old Liverpool fan money. is just sitting in the corner, like red faced, like Irish as hell. And he's just sitting there, like 
That guy's an absolute shame upon his club. <laughs> well, to be fair, I blame the bartender who gave me free shots. After okay, the yeah, that'll, that'll, do it. So, that'll do it. <laughs> yeah, it, I had two mimosas and two shots of tequila during that game and then did a third one after they won the game. So... Yeah, we were we were we were liquored up well on Saturday afternoon. But yeah, three one, my tip in the forty first, a Salah penalty in the forty ninth, Salah scoring a pro- one of my favorite Salah goals in the forty in the fifty eighth minute, and Lucas Torreira in the eighty fifth to make it look respectable, but not really for Arsenal. Uh, and that was all she wrote. Uh, can I can I counter uh, re- real quick before? Because uh, I'm just gonna say what Javier. I already know Javier is gonna say. I think compared to the past seasons, it honestly wasn't as bad of a performance as you're making it out to be. I'll angry. grant you that. Like the the previous year, was it 5-1 and the year before that, 4-0? And that was like the second or third game yeah. of the season two at Anfield where all of Arsenal's players hadn't come back. It, it, those were far more embarrassing than this felt. Like this felt like Arsenal had just kind of messed up the system. Unai had messed up the system like you mentioned, Andrew, and that – the game just got away from them because Liverpool were just, you know, at it for the vast majority of the up until like the mid second half when they were pretty much like home and clear. So, yeah, Arsenal could have done better for sure. Like, it's not like a performance like without any sort of criticism, as we'll get on to David Luiz, I'm sure, in a, in a little bit. But it's 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 not like a backbreaker like those other results felt like. It was for me. Well, no, I'm just saying, like, it, as someone who wants to see Arsenal <laughs> crash and burn, it didn't feel like they were crashing and burning in that game. It felt like they were just, like, mildly outclassed. And, and the thing is, is, like, for the a team that had 97 points last year uh, and for a team that has had such bad away form, uh, to have had the opportunity to have been up 2-0 in the first half, uh, to have really had the two best chances of that first half, uh, I mean, you guys really... Uh, you guys had possession in the first half, but we defended really, really well. Uh, I mean, like Trenton and Robertson were able to play balls in, but I wouldn't they say were always that being headed out, and there was there was never there was never really any chances created. Uh, there was never clear. That's what cut I'm saying. Chances, there was never clear but cut we were chances. pinging stuff in. Exactly, we were pinging stuff in, and Arsenal and we were, playing on the low block. We were block letting and... you. We were letting you have that that like freedom to which is to a put which is in. a dangerous I, I game. I don't Absolutely. think they were letting them have it. I think just by I think they probably drilled it in the week before because I mean everyone's been talking about the fact that Emery trotted out this like midfield diamond. Who was it? It was uh, Gwenduzi, Willock, Xhaka, and uh, and Ceballos in midfield with Pepe yep, and Aubameyang up top. And because they didn't have any like natural wingers like positioned out there to track back and just cover those fullbacks like you would normally do, obviously it was it, it was harder for those midfield players, one of those midfield players, to continually get out to those switches to the fullbacks. And Robertson and Alexander Arnold would just find themselves in like acres of space out there. And you know, crossing is a low percentage like a chance creator in terms of like how you want to create the best quality chances. But when you have two of the best crossers in in the game, like it's going to pay off at some point and eventually got corner and what's his name? Alexander-Arnold put in a peach of a ball for Matip to score. So it, it eventually did come through. It just wasn't at like as, I guess, as bad as previous years. So I wouldn't say yeah, exactly. They- and we just didn't open ourselves up nearly as much in terms of like trying to be swashbuckling and, and score two or three goals to start the game. You but could we have, almost though. got could off. Have. Like, if we'd scored that first goal, then it, then then the game plan would have worked. Adrian tried so his hardest. Think, he really did. So, so like, and I think Aubameyang <laughs> yeah. had a chance because of Adrian in the first half, and then he had a he had a good chance in the second half, too. But um, in, it, Pepe had, you know, the, the, the best chance 
for us in the whole game. You know, that 1v1 that he really just shows that he's a very left-footed, reliant player and, and just, you know, kind of scuffed it when it was really a easy right-footed finish. Adrian was rooted, and he just had to slot it home with his right foot. And, yeah, I, I for the place that it was and having just having the opportunity of gotten something from the game like if he scores that maybe we get a 2-2 you know i don't i don't think we go on to win the game but you know it, it's possible that we can get a, a result with our with you know the bench that came on and and once our subs came on i i thought Torreira definitely should have started you could tell that he made a difference when he came on and as well as Lacazette, like his hold-up play was why is he not starting? Sorely missed. We just didn't have anyone who could hold up the ball. So every time that we lost the ball, Liverpool got it back, and it was just waves of waves of pressure. Because like Aubameyang and Pepe, yeah, they're really good on the counter, but we had no one in the midfield or really in the uh, other. Than, like Willock was holding up the ball a little bit, but nobody else could really hold it up. So it was yeah. It felt like the Liverpool midfield, which has been criticized for not creating enough yeah, chances, Fabinho just was dominating. Rolled, rolled, rolled the entire game, which I enjoyed a lot. I mean, those aren't, (laughs) there aren't, they aren't the most creative types, but you don't need that when you have the fullbacks behind them. Like that's the way the system works. And that's the same thing. Like Firmino drops deep. Uh, Look, it wasn't, it wasn't the cleanest performance against Arsenal, but in terms of not having our goalkeeper, everyone being like the Arsenal backline might actually be able to do some damage. We got through it. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't stoked to not. Yeah, but get we didn't another actually play sheet. the front line that we that like that, that we, we should have, have played. No, definitely not. Like, what, well, okay, what the fuck were you doing, Emery? So like, that, that, that's a big question I have coming out of this. Like, I feel like the excuse, I guess, is the best word to use that's being made for Emery is that he was trying to get like the defensive balance right, and that he uh, and, and that he left his best defensive midfield sure, on the bench. But I'm, I'm talking more about in terms of leaving Lacazette out because he's obviously Arsenal's. Yeah, but it feels like he's Arsenal's Lacazette best big played, game player. They wouldn't have been able to like. To like pin us back nearly as much, they would have had to like respect the, the like they they were. I mean, Pepe did have really good runs at both Robertson and Van Dyke and like got by them. And I mean, that was like exciting to watch. Just having I mean, a player that could do that. I would have liked to have but seen. I that. think like sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I just think like having Lacazette to have someone that Pepe could have played off of would have been. Yeah, like monstrous. Because I mean, even during the week, they were talking like during the build-up, saying, like, "Oh, we we've been finding each other in practice, like with our eyes closed, like Pepe and Lacazette." And it just seems like those two would uh, are going to link up really well in the future. And and we really needed the hold-up play. So, and and in these big games, Lacazette's the one who steps up. I just would like to see it from the standpoint of what we like just talked about, where having all three of Aubameyang, uh, Pepe, and Lacazette, like at least two of them, whoever is playing out wide at the time is capable of tracking back and at least putting a, a body goal side of one of those fullbacks when they get the ball in space out wide. That probably would have helped defensively. And I mean, you would have one less man in midfield, but it didn't look like you were winning the midfield battle anyway. So why not secure those those wings a little bit more and try to hit one of those three players on the counter and maybe one of them can get up and join in. I, I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of English uh, like pundits are saying like it was probably the right decision because otherwise they would have had far too many attacking players like those three plus Ceballos, you know that on paper that doesn't look like the most defensive cover. But I don't know. I think like schematically or like tactically, I feel like it would have been it would have it would have worked itself out better than a midfield diamond. So I mean, hopefully we'll get to see it soon because that's a scary looking like front four if Ceballos is going to be playing that like most attacking midfield role behind those three. That's going to be scary. I mean, my one criticism of that, though, is that neither, fine, like, Aubameyang can play wide and Lacazette can play wide, 
but they've got two guys who kind of excel down the middle and Pepe's like can play wide can play down the middle like I, I feel like there's just a cert like this is my biggest question about Arsenal there's a surplus of attacking talent and yes they needed a wide player this offseason but why not sell Lacazette or Aubameyang and use it to fund buying like a dominant because defender? I think next to Liverpool's front three that's probably the most like fluid switchable front three in the league of players who can play what about in- City what no, about but City, City have very defined roles I feel like for a lot of their like forward players where it's like it's within like a, a system where you're filling like a certain like slot of space on the field to lead to the next pass you guys are constantly swishing, having Mane come inside and Firmino drop off. Like Arsenal's front three is probably like the best like group of players that can do that. Also, we just haven't seen it yet. It's more of a hypothetical thing. I'll give you that. I'd still rather just say, you know, Aubameyang is our striker, or or you I'm know, saying you shouldn't say that because you have a team that does that too, and it's a very great success. I I get that. I get that. But at the same time. I don't see Lacazette as being the same type of like our players are just better. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm not saying <laughs> who's better and who's not better. I'm saying uh like for like the players' qualities, it's similar. And I think Arsenal have oh, yeah. like uh, the probably the second best like front three in that specific regard of like switchability and where like all those players can fill those different uh roles out wide or central. They'll be dangerous no matter what. That's pretty similar to Liverpool's front three for me I get it I, I'd rather because that's the thing like you when you, ch- you make changes like fine Origi has kind of figured out how to play left wing but he usually plays as a striker and that's when Mo and Mane just play they play as forwards but they're more out wide I don't know it's just the way I look at it uh it was a big weekend for upsets here uh we had United and Crystal Palace we had Newcastle and Tottenham and actually, one of my winners of the weekend is Crystal Palace statistics. Uh, Hit me with them. This was their first this first win at Old Trafford since 1991. Do you know what what popular album dropped in 1991? Uh, Nirvana. Yeah, never mind. Yeah. By Nirvana, "Smells Like yep. Teen Spirit" came out in 1991. That's how long it's been since Crystal. What Palace. What a way to start the decade. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Speaking, and I talked about about uh, about giant slaying for Crystal Palace. They have the last win at Anfield in the Premier League. They beat Liverpool two one in twenty seventeen in April. They have the last win at Manchester City, which was last December when they beat them three two with that fucking golasso. Uh, they have the last win at Arsenal when they beat them in April, and they now have the last win at Manchester United. Ah, that Arsenal win was on my birthday. What a great Fuck birthday Palace. present from Crystal I hope Palace. They get relegated April twelfth. They're pieces of All shit. All I'm saying is we're seeing betting trends now where I'm probably just gonna take a flyer on Palace anytime they're playing a team in the top six. I think in away games we need yes. to generally Yes. Like because they I think they legitimately have the second or third best record away from home in the Premier League, like this calendar year. I've seen that stat dropped multiple places. Which is nuts because they have great home atmosphere. Like Selhurst Park yeah, is well, fucking insane. Tell that to their fans because their fans haven't seen like that many great performances at home recently. It's usually dull draws and losses. So, um, I mean, they're getting points. That's what matters. It keeps them in the league. Uh, I might, it's one of my winners too, kind of. Uh, my, one of my winners of the weekend is defensive porn. Uh, where as a former defender, I was just sitting here watching the, those Palace and Newcastle uh, defensive performances just 
not quite pleasuring myself, but you know, I was enjoying it because I mean, just the shifting and the positioning and it's, it's hard to really put into words without any sort of like visual aid, but it just trust me, it was just beautiful to watch. And obviously it was going on against two of Chelsea's rivals for top four. If you're a believer in that sort of thing uh, for Chelsea this season, but uh, yeah, it was, it was fun to what? watch. It, rivals another for one, bottom four? Another, another one of my winners of the weekend is Chelsea Rejects. Chelsea Rejects really helped out the club this weekend. We had uh, Gary Cahill making his first league start for Crystal Palace. was instrumental in that game. And uh, Patrick Van Arnholt getting the winner in the 93rd minute. Uh, that we had Christian, uh, Christian Atsu, Atsu yes. giving giving the assist to Joe Ellington against Tottenham, which we'll get to in a sec. And then we had David Luiz, of course, uh, contributing to all three goals being conceded. He's not a winner of the weekend, but he's like a loser slash Marina winner contributing God. to my Chelsea. Marina, she's, she's next level. She just she knew that that David Luiz would concede three goals and uh, give Chelsea some hope. Was eight million too much? I right feel like now, Chelsea would like it's a bargain. <laughs> Chelsea robbed them. No, I guarantee you he'll uh, he'll have better. Pro- you, oh, we you didn't know talk about David, David Luiz in that game, but like that was also a big well, difference. No, uh, where like we can now. <laughs> yeah, but that was David Luiz was a shithead, and and he sh- he yeah, should have been okay, able to foul Salah. That's on not the a surprise. Goal, and then Salah wouldn't have been able to score. Like he should have just taken a. But he would have been sent off. He would have been sent off. He, he should have been card. able to foul Salah. Uh, like he shouldn't have had a yellow card from that stupid penalty he conceded. So that was pretty. Okay, I'm just saying that like this isn't a surprise. Like he's he did this literally yeah, multiple I mean, times away from home for us like, the last uh, couple of years. I think he would do it this early. Really? Where where you're gonna be like like worshiping at his feet is when you have a home game like next week against Tottenham and he'll probably play his socks off and maybe score and you'll say he's the one of the best center backs in the league on his day. And yeah, it's, it's you gotta take the good with the bad with that Luis. That asshole better make up for it next week. I mean I said three points from these next two games would be good, so if we get the three points against Tottenham, I'll be happy. You know, it's definitely looking doable. Yeah, uh, great weekend for Chelsea rejects. Yeah, uh, phenomenal weekend for Chelsea rejects. Uh, let's let's talk, let's talk about a little Palace in, Man- in Manchester United. Some of those Chelsea rejects. Uh, first of all, loved loved watching Marcus Rashford hit the post. It was it was a it was a solid thunk. Like that was that was a very resounding sound. Is that really where you're gonna start? I just love how there were I thought like Well okay, here's the thing. There were three like penalty calls, one of them not really that strong, another one on Martial that probably should have been a penalty that mm-hmm. wasn't given, and then the penalty they actually got. And the whole conversation that we had and other people have had about United coming into this is who's gonna be the penalty taker. And it's Almost like, what's the point of like United's strategy of just trying to win penalties with their pacey wide players if they don't have anyone that they can really rely on to score those penalties? It just kind of seems like it's kind of productive and almost like it's like borderline destructive to like the team spirit where, you know, like that seems to be most of their good chances is them getting into dangerous areas and using their pace out wide to try and force like fouls and get penalties what what is it like one in yeah, each they, of their first three, three games this season this year, which is ridiculous right and the martial one was a pretty strong call like i'm surprised it wasn't given yeah. so uh, i mean they, they got to figure it out I feel, I feel like they should still stick with uh, rashford and, and like this conversation about the whole penalty thing probably affected him taking that penalty yes, do you think definitely 
Just all right. of this. Like, he's, the, like, he's like, oh, shit, I have to score this now because Pogba missed last time, but he missed. I mean, they're really – Alex and I talked about this before we started the pod. Uh, the, probably this one of like the uh, – of teams challenging for attempting to challenge for, for big things in the Premier League, United are probably the second youngest team next to Chelsea. You look up and down that roster of how many guys who are, are on the younger side. And like I saw people on Twitter getting upset at, at Daniel James for scoring the equalizer and like celebrating for 30 seconds, which it's like you just came to United. It's you're in the 89th minute and you, you score a beautiful curler of a goal to put, you know, to get you back in it. You're, People would be upset of him for not celebrating. Like I, I, I had, I, I had no. Yeah, I mean, also, what is he like? Nineteen, yeah, twenty. Yeah. Like. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's forgivable. He's twenty-one, twenty-one, but still, they would add it on to extra time. Like they were. And, he's a young player yeah. in his second ever start for United. Absolutely, I had no problem with that. I, the big, I mean, it was funny though because. I, for, I think it was Pogba who lost the ball that led to the goal for Palace, for like yeah, right after that. Yeah, yeah. Just another. I mean, Pogba also like it looked like he was sulking after Rashford missed the penalty. Like it looked like he was just kind of like he kind almost like stopped. Got caring. the body language doctor over here. Well, also too, if you're him reading the body language, him, I mean, you dude, know the body language of players is is very apparent in games, and you can tell like when players just yeah, kind sure. Of, you know, it's it's something that you can't hide. They try to hide like what they say or how they you know how they react, but like body language is is you know it's something that's that you can tell on the players, and you could tell like after they missed the penalty, they were just all kind of like, "Are you serious?" Like another like again, because that literally it's what happened last week where there was another a pe- they could have won a game again with a penalty, and they didn't. So this is now two weeks in a row where this this penalty controversy is has caused them to, you know, not get maximum points. So it's also one of those things where like players know what's a big deal and what's not. And they also know what's gonna be driven home by the media and all over their Twitter and Instagram all week. And this is definitely like they were probably sick and tired of it last week and now they have to put up with this shit again for another they've, week. They've probably played well enough to like have won these first three games, but they've only won one. And that's worrying for me. Like people are already talking about only being gone by Christmas than what they've been doing. You know, this has been pretty good performances for them, and they're not getting maximum points. Like uh, that, 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 that leaves games. a lot of room for like you know f- fuck ups and and stuff to happen and injuries and and yeah, they're already getting the injuries. Shaw's out for a month and. Yeah, I mean, one or two key injuries to someone in that front line, like Hound's been injury-prone, Martial looks like he's got a knock. Yeah, it's just Pogba looks unsettled. I don't know. I think there's there's a lot of questions right now around United, whereas they could have they could have gotten, just scored their penalties and won their first three games, and we wouldn't be asking these questions, but fine margins. Or you could argue that if you gave people uh united's first three games the week before the season started and you said they would win one lose one and draw one uh you could definitely see that in the first three games of home chelsea at wolves home palace like you think like oh maybe we lose it maybe we lose at wolves we draw at home to chelsea and then we beat palace in the third game and if that's if that's the case then we're talking about them in glowing terms The, the main point is it's only three games yeah, it's not ideal, but Palace were really good, and they deserve something from the game. And a win is like an amazing result for them. They hadn't beaten them in the Premier League era, in at Old Trafford. 
I think. It's uh, they had a crazy Good terrible on Roy record Hodgson against United. For dropping uh Benteke and uh Townsend and trying to go a little bit different with Schlupp, who uh who got right. the assist. Who got the knock on, yeah. right? And uh, yeah, that was good. Good on Hodgson. He, he still has me believing that uh, that maybe he can keep Palace up. Losers of the week. Me for not going just like going in on Palace and saying Palace to win instead of Palace to draw. But oh well. that almost hit. That literally almost hit. It was like five yeah, minutes like away. Five away minutes hitting. away from hitting. Uh, I, the both the Watford game and the Southampton game were both like they were both at halftime tie games and I like that's when I woke up because I had a really late night the night before I woke up at halftime at 10 o'clock games and I was I like streamed was watching one of them on gold switching back and forth between those two games on gold until both my draw both of my bets didn't hit which was very disappointing let's talk about Tottenham Newcastle because one of my losers of the week was Pochettino's lineup because I kind of didn't like the fact of the I didn't like the lineup that they played against Newcastle I felt that Either of Erickson or Lo Celso should have started in this game. You knew Newcastle were going to do the low block. I understand that they played like more of like a a bigger yeah, but that well still like you know how how many times have we seen Erickson break down a low block team for Tottenham? Erickson, well, okay, so I'm guessing you're alluding to the fact that Erickson didn't start. Yes, yeah, I, I mean. It's clearly because he's, I mean, Poch said after the game, like, this is the most unsettled squad he's ever had, and Erickson's definitely trying to angle for a move mm-hmm. out. So um, that 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 also leads to my loser of the week, um, which I have as Mike Dean in that, refing that game, uh, who he refed the Arsenal game, Burnley, and you guys heard me bitch about it the week before. And, you know, I, I, even though it led to Tottenham losing this game, like it's still unreal to me that even with VAR, like Mike Dean can still affect a game so much, you know that and that a referee's like and pride VAR. that the ref that the ref's pride still comes into play and that the way that the ref that like the Premier League is using VAR, they're still allowing the refs to have like full control over the situation and they can suggest like like in that Harry Kane incident, I think it was like a very clear. I, penalty. I don't. Th- I don't think that's completely true. I I think they have. They have the a, a separate referee. I forget who it was for this game, but they mentioned his name, and it was like Craig Paulson or one of the familiar ones. And they work VAR, and they tell them to look at a decision. They don't give them a, like a choice when it when it comes back to them. They tell them we have to stop for a check, or they tell them no, it's fine, keep playing. I mean, that's what happened right. on the. They, they I think that's what happened on the Harry then, Kane penalty. And then Mike, and then but the one ultimately that decides if they want to do anything is the referee. I don't think so. You read that? On yes, the- and and the Premier League released today like a bunch of stuff about their VAR, and they basically say like they don't they're not going to overturn any decisions unless it's a clear and obvious error. And they think in the case of that call with Mike Dean, it wasn't a clear and obvious error. But I don't understand how when you look at those replays, like how that wasn't a yeah. penalty. Uh, yeah, there was definitely it's, a penalty. It's similar. It's similar to the Martial one. Like that should have been a penalty also, and then they end up giving the uh, David Luiz one. Uh, because for, for the, the exact referee, same thing, the yeah. ref, well, the referee himself actually called it. That's why they get. If I, I think if the referee hadn't given the penalty, VAR wouldn't have gone and uh, given that that penalty for David Luiz on Salah. It just would have left it, you know, because I think they just have a much stricter definition of clear and obvious than other countries. Where, 
you know, we're seeing like every little minor infraction being like called a penalty in Champions League in Italy, sometimes in France. It's it's not being it's implemented not, the same everywhere. I just don't like the vagueness. I think like obviously it's going to take a while to sort out the kinks, but I think right now it's it's still um, up in the air. And I also don't like that. Like, why is Mike Dean still refing games? Why isn't he stuck in the VAR booth? <laughs> Like I, was, I literally, I literally looked at the games this weekend, and Martin Atkinson is refing the North London Derby, and Mike Dean, like Michael Oliver, is not refing any games this weekend. Michael Oliver's like he's doing VAR refing. I'm like, why? Why is Michael Oliver doing the VAR ref, and Mike Dean and Martin Atkinson are the ones refing like big games? It's, it's I don't know. Premier League, your shit. You guys need to get your shit together. I, you know, fire Scooter more. <laughs> I do want to. I do want to talk a little bit about the Newcastle game. I do want to mention because we talked about it briefly. Anthony Martial did pick up some form of a knock in that United game, and that might be the reason that Alexis Sanchez doesn't leave on loan before the end of the European window. So just good. Just just throwing that out there. But back to Newcastle. What did you guys think? I love the those orange kits. By the way, I felt like we were watching the Dutch team that did not look like a Dutch team. Like it looked like the Dutch team physically, but did not play like a Dutch team. It, it looked like the Dutch team in the world cup final 2010. Yes. Yes. Andrew, very good question. Cause that leads to my winners of the week. Um, I had Joe Ellington. I thought Joe Ellington, Holler, Pookie, all these new strikers that have come to the league. Um, Wesley, yeah, Wesley, Wesley they, they all, they're all, oh, they've all opened their accounts now. Only three games in. Um, Tammy Abraham. Tammy Abraham. Yeah. Uh, yeah. New strikers. Yeah. New strikers. It's just I, I I'm happy that all of them have uh, you know come into their element quickly and uh, you know they they almost all of them were big money signings. Pookie, not so much, but he had a lot of hype coming up into the league. Scored a lot of goals in the championship, and yeah, I mean he has five goals and an assist. Been part of every goal for Norwich. Been amazing. Joe Ellington, he's had some amazing hold to play, and I mean just was a monster for Newcastle in that whole game. There were times where, like, I mean, his body language is such that, like, he looks like he's got no energy and he's, like, sapped and dead, and then suddenly he just, like, will dribble two or three players and hold up the ball and and then, or, like, you know, get a chance off. And, yeah, he seems like a great player. And Holler, he's like a, I mean, Alex has made this comparison to me, but, he you know, he looks like Giroud-esque out there. You know, he's got some, he's got some... Some Whipping thunder in those kicks and some finesse Whipping as out well. The bicycles. So, yeah, it's uh, it's exciting time to be a Premier League fan because even even these mid table teams have got fun and good attacking players and uh, yeah, it's good it's good that we have a lot of good new attacking talent in the league and it doesn't look like like you know back to the the Newcastle game and Palace and all this it doesn't look like anyone's like bang on to go down. I mean Sheffield's gotten a win. I know Watford hasn't gotten a win yet, but. It doesn't. It doesn't look like anyone's. Uh, I know we're only three games in, but usually it takes longer for for somebody to you know not get a win or somebody looks really bad in the first few games. It doesn't look like anyone's really well, like, really bad. What like Watford? Yeah, or like like Brighton or someone. It looks like someone's gonna be having an, an atrocious time, but no one no one's gonna be awful. We know Watford aren't gonna be like in the relegation zone. I don't think, but. Exciting times to be a Premier League fan. I'm still not as much as the I mentioned the defensive porn uh, that that performance provided from Newcastle. I'm still not completely sold on Steve Bruce. No, definitely. Um, not. Yeah, I, I need to see it for a string of games, and I think they have some tough fixtures coming up. So, um, yeah, I'm going to be on the wait and see camp. I'm still not positive about Steve Bruce, though. That does kind of segue into my uh, 
losers of the week. I think I gave Steve Bruce as the manager most likely to be fired uh, first before the season. Um, Javi Gracia has really given him a run for his money, though, because we know how uh, trigger-happy Watford like to be with their managers. I I kind of imagine that if this kind of continues for Watford, that he's not really going to be given any uh, sort of wiggle room. He's not going to be given... I don't think he'll be given that much of a chance to dig his way out of it. They didn't really give him much money this summer. I don't think they're backing him too much. I think they're not like. I mean, they just they just gave him an extension when they were playing well last year, and they were ah, up yeah, in they seventh. Yeah, you're right. But then they they've had some of the worst form in the league ever since they qualified for that FA Cup final. Like to finish the league uh, season last year, I don't think they won and lost the majority of their games, uh, and ended up in eleventh or twelfth or something uh, after being in that hunt for seventh place. So and since then, they've obviously lost three games and conceded the most goals in the league in, in that time. So again, only three games. I'm sure they can turn it around, but uh, being a Watford manager and being in this position is uh, not ideal. So uh, keep an eye out for their future performances to see if Javi Gracia gets the sack anytime soon. One last game that we do have to mention, and it's another great stat from the weekend, Kevin De Bruyne becoming the fastest player to 50 assists in Premier League history with 123 appearances as Manchester City beat Bournemouth 3-1 away. Aguero, like I said, with two goals. Sterling with a goal. And Harry Wilson with a Harry Wilson on-brand free kick, a free kick, which apparently totally plays in the Premier League. But I want to talk about He definitely was thinking to himself, like, I'm helping Liverpool right now. We're going to win the league. <laughs> He's definitely, like, thinking that to himself when he scored. He celebrated it like he was like he won the league. But. I, well, it was his first ever Premier League goal, you know? like No, didn't he score? He scored last week against Villa. Did he? Yeah, he scored. Yeah, so his second Premier League They beat goal. him 3-1. Yeah, he scored first a free kick he, in scored, the uh, he scored, like, a screamer last week. Harry Wilson only scores screamers, Javier. Yeah, that's all he knows. Welcome, to, welcome to the Harry Wilson show. It's yeah. Somehow Andrew missed the Harry Wilson screamer from last week. Wow. I definitely feel like I would have known about that. That's weird. Yeah, I mean, it was a 10 a.m. game. There were a bunch of other games going on at the same time. Ah, uh, you know kind what it innocuous. was? I was watching the Liverpool game at the same time, and then I probably didn't watch the Bournemouth highlights the next day because there was just a bunch of things going on. Uh yeah, but let's. But this. I wanted to talk. Anyways, I wanted to talk about. Uh, we wanted to talk about Kevin De Bruyne weight reaching fifty assists and one hundred and twenty three appearances. He was really good again this game. I don't think he was like as good as the game before, but yeah. Well, he, can we talk about the assist itself? Kind of unintentional. Like the guy is so right, good that even his scuffed shots right. end up as like, assists. <laughs> yeah, he got lucky with the assist, and he did not get lucky. <laughs> I think he just knew to put it into a dangerous area, but like he was trying to shoot, but he knew just to get it towards Aguero. <laughs> and the finish by Aguero was amazing. He just like cushioned it perfectly and then just slotted it bottom left, like right into the side netting. Yeah, Aguero like a- scored in his first three games. Uh, I think that's the first city player to do that in like apparently in, in, in you know, decades. So yeah, Aguero, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. The question is still, will he be able is to Is he going to win the Golden Boot this yeah, year? That's the yeah. question, right? It's, yeah, it's literally what I was about to but say. But Bournemouth, Bournemouth, also, Bournemouth, the record against City continues. Um, they are now, they have zero wins, zero draws, and nine losses against Manchester City all time. So, if that's if there's one matchup that's lopsided in, in its history, it's uh, this is the most lopsided matchup in Premier League history. I don't so, know about like that, right man. Now. No, I'm saying there's no right other now. team... There's no other team that has never gotten a point. Bournemouth have never gotten a point. Uh, I think, like, in a sample of five or more games and, like, more than two seasons, 
there's never been a team that's gotten like no points from a team. And this is now four and a half years. Bournemouth has not gotten one point against Manchester City. Eddie Howe must be uh must not must not look forward to that that fixture on the on the on the calendar. It's okay. He make he makes up for it against Chelsea. Yeah. I still rate him. I still rate him very highly. There's a lot of managers who don't do well against Pep Guardiola and his uh, his f- treasure trove of elite footballers. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna slight him too much on that one. So uh, that about wraps it up. We kind of we kind of hit on everything. We didn't we didn't really listen. I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna allow us the pass on uh, talking about Frank Lampard's first Premier League win for Chelsea because. Uh, I- just like I said, it was three games for a bunch of other results. It's only been three games for Chelsea, and uh, we've got a home game against Sheffield United next week that I hope we don't mess up. <laughs> so after that one, assuming that's a home win, the first home win of the season, then I'll get into my uh, my Chelsea stuff. I feel like another team we need to look out for might be the Villa, who got a big win against Everton on Friday afternoon. Which we yeah, still think they're getting big. relegated. And Everton are a little bit of trouble. Looks like their their uh, their midfielder Gabmin, their new like midfield signing for thirty five million, he's out for twelve weeks, which means that when he's back, it's probably not going to be another month or two before he even gets into the team. So that's like top six is on the menu, boys. Yeah, people who were trying to call them as dark horses and everything, and that they were going to pass Chelsea. Yeah, nah, they're they're probably going to be. F- Mid table. Fabian Delph is like, it's my time to shine. I'm the star. <laughs> Fabi- a Fabian Delph, Morgan Schneiderlin midfield. Well, and- Andre Gomez. Oh, yeah. None of the. Okay. Tom Davies. Tom Davies. None of the. Andre Gomes has not excited me since that one season he had at Valencia, which got him the 40 million, de- 40 million euro deal to Barcelona, where he did. He looked, he looked pretty good at the tail end of last season when Everton was, which was getting a bunch right. of clean when they sheets beat, like, and playing really well. He's a, right. They beat us, Arsenal, United at home. They, yeah, he looked good in those games. He, he's to me though he's a streaky player like he goes on runs sure. where he's really good and then also I feel like he's, he's really so never player Idrissa uh, Gay in the midfield next to him and that's oh, gonna definitely be, that's gonna be something that's gonna make him probably look a lot more exposed than he was last year yep all right well that about wraps it up from us follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Andrew Pissarro at asmos92 at JavierRev9 and at GhostColdPod like review subscribe on iTunes and until next time see you.